Welcome to the Atlanta Startup Podcast, the briefing room for the innovation ecosystem. I'm Lisa Calhoun, your host and general partner at Atlanta venture capital firm, Valor Ventures. On this show, I bring you the investors, the founders, and the activators creating the fastest emerging venture capital ecosystem in the country. So I'm really excited to have Jennifer Silverberg, the CEO of Smart Commerce here on Atlanta Startup Podcast today. How are you doing, Jennifer? Fantastic. Thank you. And I also have my co-host, Robin Bien Fay, co-founding partner at Valor. Hello, everyone. Great to be here. And so Robin and I are really excited to hear a little bit more about your story, Jennifer. What are you working on right now? So last year, I'm proud to say, um, we, went, we went like 5x the amount of products that we helped get into carts. We got over $200 million worth of products into carts, saved to retail carts by over 7 million consumers. Those are massive numbers. Now is the beginning of 2020, and so it's the beginning of so many things. We have... Um, our, our clients are big consumer packaged goods companies, so they tend to think of, of cycles and years. So we kind of have all of them right at the beginning of the year wanting to think through, what is this next year going to look like? What do we need to change? How do we adjust what we're doing? And what's awesome is because we have kind of a strategic space in our in our clients' portfolios is they tend to bring us on at the beginning of the year and help define some of the changes in the strategies that they're going to have based on consumer behavior we saw over the previous year. So for me, this is like the coolest time of year because it's less about the technology and more about why the technology and how the technology and how to apply it in new ways that, um, uh, that maybe they haven't before so that they can get more benefits. So, so to answer your question today, I think literally today I had two major strategy sessions with two major CPGs and we have some more coming up and that fires me up because I get super excited about how people use things and how people, how the path to purchase is shifting over time. Well, what brought you to this? How did you get involved with this you know, major CPG strategy sessions and that comes <laughs> with a pretty high octane day? Yeah, no, me personally. Um, so, you know, I have to go back in time a little bit. My team is almost all from a company called Channel Intelligence. Channel Intelligence was one of the first companies when, as the internet started developing to recognize that we needed to create a path between where consumers were finding products online and how they could buy them in real world, in the real world, right? Because you, you're buying toilet paper, it's not a digital product, but you're making a digital purchase. And so um, they created the first thing, it was called Where to Buy, it was this multi-step process that, that turned out it worked really, really well in certain categories, like electronics and sporting goods and so forth. They worked so well that actually we were, um, our uh, technology was underpinning Google Shopping and Google wound up acquiring that company back in 2013. So. But one of the things we noticed is that the path to purchase we had created at Channel Intelligence, while it worked really well in certain categories, it left CPG kind of hanging because the way you shop for iPhones or computers is fundamentally different from the way that you shop for toilet paper or mayonnaise or, or green beans. And that need was becoming more important because I know we all as consumers are seeing our own behavior shifting to where we're buying more of that stuff online. And so the brands actually 
had a greater need to be able to drive that. So back in 2016, we wound up, um, we, we had a theory that if we did something a little bit differently, if we made it a little bit easier, if we met consumers where they are, rather than trying to take them somewhere else to, to buy products um, or to, to act on their impulse to buy a product, that we would be able to help these brands out. And that really came from, you were asking me personally, um, I spent about 20 years doing strategy. That's why it's fun maybe, because it's like a callback to what I was doing. But 20 years in, in how consumers behave and building brands that consumers would want and helping understand the path to purchase with brands. So for me, it was sort of natural to say, there's a gap here and I think we can fill it. And then I had these brilliant team members that had worked with me at Channel Intelligence who were able to build the technology to fill that gap. So very quickly brought on some team members that um, basically we all spoke the same language and knew what we were doing already. We began to move in lockstep and I'm able to do what I do, the marketing and consumer behavior side of it. They're able to do what they do, the technology or the understanding of data because we're underneath the covers or a massive data company um, all at once. And so it's been a lot of fun because I, it's kind of like having a ready-made family, having a ready-made company, same people, you know. A lot of people would say that this is the kind of thing that <clears throat> might be built in New York or some of those other centers, but you're building it in Atlanta and we're sitting here in Atlanta Tech Park. So how is Atlanta playing into all this success? Oh man, what a great question. Because it's interesting. A lot of our clients are actually outside of Atlanta. We actually have fewer, you know, big CPGs that are based in Atlanta. But the, the talent in Atlanta, um, because of the cost of living being a little bit lower in Atlanta and because of the, um, the ability, actually the airport in Atlanta makes it easier for us to get around and for us to get to things. And it's a little less expensive sometimes to do that has kind of putting all that together. Plus we have this sort of major technical funnel that's coming from Georgia Tech, Georgia State, which, you know, we hired somebody from there. It's um, some of the great tech centers that help make everybody smarter around us in addition to the people who we have as a talent pool to be able to call from um, smarter. So it's kind of like a confluence of it's, it's affordable because it would be crazy for us to, some people have asked, why are you not in San Francisco? You know, why are you not in the Valley? Because the same person who costs a hundred thousand here would cost us 400,000 and or more in the Valley. So it's, it's smarter, it's more capital efficient and access to technology and access to the world's greatest airport. I mean, I'm in the air probably three days out of, five most work weeks. And so for me to be able to, you know, be close to an airport that can take me directly almost anywhere really matters. I know that sounds silly, but that's massive. Oh, I get it. You know, and Robin and I think also access to the world's greatest investors. I mean, I'm being a little bit facetious here, but I definitely want to make sure our listeners know Valor is really proud to be an early investor in smart commerce. And so it's fun to interview a founder whose journey we've been tracking for so long. But speaking of that, I mean, you've raised quite a bit of capital from others as well. As you move forward, who's, who's becoming your ideal investor? How do you, how do wow. you frame that up? Yeah, because it's different. And I didn't know this. This is something if, if someone's listening to this and they're, and they're starting up, I would, I would highly recommend that you sit down and try to define who you think your inv ideal investor is going to be now versus, you know, maybe, maybe don't think of it in terms of time, but think of it in terms of, of 
checkpoints for the company. You know, when you go from, from idea to something you can sell, when you go from something you can sell to something that you're selling a million or 2 million or whatever. And then as you move beyond that. So for us, the first thing we needed were investors who understood the vision and were willing to participate with us in forming the vision. Because if we're only as good as our team, you know, we're only as good as our team. We have a great team, but we're only that good. When we bring investors around with us who can add to that, that thinking and can, and can push us in some of the directions, it's been really important. Valor was one of those. Valor was early. Valor Valor invested twice, I guess I could say this, and once when it was a vision and another time in what I would call early growth. So the first thing you need are people is just is is an uh, a buy-in to the vision and, and an ability to help you get from vision to reality. Then you need investors who want to push you to take the next step and really start driving real revenue and to feel confident that you can go out and make the decisions that you need to make. And and sometimes that's hiring somebody and understanding that an investor has your back, even if there's a down month or something like that, you, your investor has your back through that time and you can get through it. Now we're in a different place. Now we're scaling to almost growth stage. And growth stage, we're looking more for investors who've been there before, who've taken a company through a growth phase. Because I understand personally, and my, te- and my team and I all understand, that what it takes to go from a concept to 3 million is a massively different thing than to go from 3 million to 20 million to, you know, a hundred million, which is where we'd like to get. And so, or where we're planning to get and where we're on a trajectory to get. So there are a gazillion decisions on timing and, and resource allocation and partnering and things like that, that, um, a, a, an investor who understands that space and who can bring new thinking that we don't have internally, to that is, has become very important. Whereas a year ago, that would have, or two years ago, that would have been disruptive. That's what we need now. So it was interesting you asked the question that way because it definitely has shifted over time. And now we want active, involved investors who can help us in that space. Before we kind of wanted just ones that kept us in, going in the right direction. They were corralling. Now we need pushing. And now as you're thinking about advisors, team members, um, you know, building the future out this year, what are some of the key roles on the staff or in the advisor board that you're that you're focusing on as the CEO? So we spent our first, we've been around now for years. It's crazy. It's gone so fast. The first, the first year we were just building. So if you think of our company as, as this core technology, there's two pieces in that core technology, and we were we were building those pieces. The, the second, third year, we were gauging product market fit while continuing to build these core, the core technology into something that was kind of bulletproof, that was ultimately very, very scalable. We never built for where we were. We built for where we were going. And the, the engine that we built, you know, may have only been powering a, a, a go-kart for a little while, but we were building one that could power a, an airplane. So... Those pieces, we had to get the smartest and best and greatest people on from the very beginning. But we went maybe a little short on some of the data coming into our business and and then some on sales because we weren't focusing on that at the time. For the last year, year and a half, we've been focusing on those pieces and we've proven product market fit and client demand and that sort of thing. Now it's time to put our foot on the accelerator with sales because we're to the point where we have 
you know, incoming leads that we can't even get to. So the, if, if they're, it, that sounds crazy, but it's true. And so um, they have to ping us again. That's not okay. No. So we need great salespeople who think, who want something that um, already has demand and pull in the marketplace. That's really where we're focusing. And we need super smart people who also understand how to leverage. This is a complicated category. There are retailers and, and, and brands and advertising agencies and um, in, uh, I don't, I can't think of the right word, but advisors, that's the word I'm looking for. They're all weighing in at the client level. And so you have to be pretty smart to understand all of this. But what we've learned is when we leverage the agencies, when we leverage the advisors, when we leverage these, they become selling arms for us. So I need not just salespeople who can go out and sell X to Y person, but somebody who can think very broadly and look for ways to make um, other people go out and sell for us or other paradigms, completely new paradigms that we haven't thought about that will help build the business faster than we can on our own. So as you're kind of looking at your next step, what is the thing that you see this year that's going to be big for you? Oh my gosh, what a question. Um, well, we're growing really fast right now. So we're bringing on big, big clients. Over the last few years, we focused more on getting an initial contract with a, a client that has massive expansion potential than building expansion. So this year, it's we've opened about, there are 32 or 35 major CPG companies. Each one of those has, you know, let's say 60 brands. So we've opened a door that just on the other side, there are 60 brands sitting there. So I think walking through the doors we've unlocked is the big thing this year. The second thing that we're doing is really dealing with the technology that's shifting underneath us at the same time that we're growing. Um, three, two years ago, there were two Walmart groceries. Today, there are 3,200 different stores and we have to deal with I, we haven't gone deeply into what we do, so it's a little confusing, but we've, we have to deal with inventory and pricing and everything like that from all of them. And it's not just Walmart, Amazon Fresh is on the same thing. Instacart's growing, you know, you have shipped, which was purchased by, um, by target. All of these are shifting around. Then right in the middle of all of this, we have uh, uh, retailers that are being bought by other retailers and shifting around. So dealing with the shifting sands better than anybody else is, at the same time that we're going through a rapid expansion phase is, it's, it's kind of fun. It's like riding waves. Every day is riding a wave and you just kind of go, here comes another one. Let's ride it. Let's not get smacked by it. That's good advice. Listen, as you've, um, as you're on your journey and you've been growing really fast with some amazing customers, who's one person, every founder in Atlanta you think should meet who's been valuable on your journey? Yeah, so the problem with this question is it's so easy, and yet, and yet I think the answer is going to be different for every human being that thinks about it. So for us, we had a, remember when I talked about there were different investors at different times? Um, love Valor, so I hate saying this, but probably the most important from a attaboy kind of standpoint that made us know we were on the right path was Frank Blake. Frank um, used to be the CEO of Home Depot. Now he's involved with Delta and several other, other CPG companies even. So he understands that. Early on when we went to him and he immediately got it and said, this is the thing that brands are going to need if they're going to build through this next phase of consumer evolution. 
was the most amazing thing. Now for me, that was Frank because Frank, um, I can't, I honestly, in the whole world, can't think of anyone else that knows more about that has a better viewpoint for understanding what we're going through right now and what the brands are going through than him. So I'm sure that for, for other founders, there'll be somebody, you know, a founder in automotive and there'll be, you know, whoever, who is the kind of the guy who's watched or the girl or woman who's watched the, the, the changes in that space or somebody in insurance who's watched the changes in that space from a perch. But I would say somebody who has a long view over time um, and then a broad view who understands, you know, all the moving parts of your industry. For us, it was unequivocally, Frank, um, made all the difference in the world for us. And even on days, you know, early on, you're, you're second guessing yourself every other day. If you're not, you're not thinking hard enough. You know, you really should be going, am I doing the right thing? Is this not just, am I doing things right, but are we doing the right things? And, and to have somebody put their faith in you, who, who, and that, and you also respect that person's, um, uh, viewpoint a hundred percent. I, there's no amount of, of money that, that, that that's not worth. That's amazing. And so, do you think when you think of the validation he gave validation, you? Validation. That's a word. Thank yeah, you. I was going to help you out there. <laughs> validation. But you know what? Sometimes the validation, some, sometimes you're like, okay, he gets it and he's in that space. Should I get more than one person's validation? Or do you just kind of every now and then test the fences with some other people? That's a great question. I think we test, we validate every day. Um, I don't, we can't trust every person because no. there are, there are, you have to remember that people only see things through their own lenses. So, so sometimes people will give you feedback and you have to remember that their lens is dirty or their lens is, you know, it, it warped and in it. It can be a little bit tainted based upon <laughs> from yesterday or today. And that's why you have to be careful who you're talking to. But no, that's a great point. He wasn't the only source of validation. I think, um, you know, Valor, I think you guys have a lot of people who've, or a lot of um, history in marketing and technology. So kind of running what we're doing up against you makes a big difference because um, I think Lisa a couple of times has had some suggestions of, of things we might want to think about some, some places where we might be not be looking. And she's great. Cause she says, Hey, you might want to go look over there. Just a thought. Exactly. Go look over there. If you don't want to look over there, that's okay. And so those kind, that kind of validation to me, and actually that's how Frank works is he will say, you know, you might want to think about this. It's a, it's a gentle, it's a gentle form of that. But the, the, when that jives with what we thought we were going to do or what we're thinking we're doing, that's validation. And when it causes us to think more broadly, you know, that's uh, acceleration and we need both of those. So I think I, we look for both of those in anyone that we're working with. And if somebody doesn't do that and they're constantly saying, Oh, are you sure this, you know, slow down, think, you know, I try to stay away from those people because <laughs> it's, <laughs> right. it's not really helpful. I do plenty of that myself. I do plenty of second guessing. Um, so when you interact on a day-to-day -day basis with your endpoint customers, are you getting any insights from their validation of what they're doing? And, you know, and yeah, every, every, every time they buy something from us. So here's an interesting thing. And, and I've always been this way, but it's sort of interesting that I've also surrounded myself with people who feel the same way in the company. I guess that's what we do. To me, there's people, people's jobs are very important to them. And when they make a vendor decision, 
And that vendor decision is going to cost their company money. And it's usually, you know, there's, there are more vendors who could do this, but they're choosing this vendor. That to me is a sacred trust. And my team sees that as a sacred trust because they are putting their career in our hands because if we screw up, it looks bad for them. And so we treat every client choice, every time they choose to do business with us as a as now we have to have their back. That's our job. Our job now is to go and make sure that they're successful. That's the most important thing. But the second most important thing is what you just said, which is they just told us that they that, that this makes sense to them, that this works for them. And so our job is to make sure to keep, make them right. And that to me is the biggest validation, that consumers are actually doing what they need to do to help build a brand because they have the tools that we put into their hands. No, it's a relationship. They're, they're driving more than a partnership. They're thinking, Hey, you're in this relationship with us to be successful. So Jennifer, how should our listeners reach out to join the journey? It sounds like with uh, that much carding and that much moving, (laughs) you're going to be hiring dozens of positions in the year ahead. How does someone get on board and get involved with smart commerce? So our website is the easiest way to contact us. Um, And there are lots of ways on there. But if you'll go to smartcommerce, all one word, smartcommerce.co. Thank you so much. Thanks for taking a moment out of your incredibly busy schedule. (laughs) It was crazy today. Thank you for fitting me in at a crazy moment. Really good to see you. And we look forward to hearing more from you. We'll have you back on the show in a few months. The Atlanta Startup Podcast catalyzes critical conversations and connections that couldn't otherwise occur in our fast-paced, dense, and dynamic ecosystem. Want to be on the show? Reach out to us at atlantastartuppodcast.com and click on Book Room. The Atlanta Startup Podcast is produced by Valor Ventures as a service to the startup and investor community. We couldn't do it without the support of our sponsors, Atlanta Tech Park, the Global Innovation Center, and Right to Market, Atlanta's favorite tech and healthcare marketing firm. Please patronize these local companies with your business and visit them online for more info. And if you'd like to get your information on the Atlanta Startup Podcast or share a message with our listeners, visit us online and check out our affordable rate card. All advertisements here are tax-deductible donations to the Startup Runway Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit whose mission is connecting underrepresented founders to their first investors.